we are back with the podcast. I got Lark Street humming right behind me. We got Lark Street humming. We've moved to to my Michael's apartment, which is great for me. And we we all know why we can't be over at Dan's anymore. Because he loves us more than he likes us. No. Well, <laughs> that probably is true. But I was thinking about the, uh, you know, the public health concerns. Ah, uh, yes, 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 yes. There's mold. I was thinking more along the lines of... Uh, all the time that he's been spending overseas lately, the cough. Ah, uh, he does he have a cough? Oh no! I'm just saying. Oh no! Pretty sure Dan has a coronavirus. <laughs> oh God! Oh Jesus! Well, well, good thing is 98% of people survive. That is one of the PSAs that I want to have with everyone today. The media's it's a good PSA. The media's hysterical response to the coronavirus to me is extremely unproductive. Yeah, I think that there's a lot of people who feel. Like, they got to be on one side of this or the other. They got to feel like either (laughs) Trump's response, which is, coronavirus? What coronavirus? The markets are (laughs) gangbusters. The market's actually doing terribly right now. Well, because, yeah, and and Trump is essentially concerned. People people have alleged that he's concerned about the markets. So he he should be. So he wants to downplay the coronavirus. So (laughs) I'm not not saying that's reasonable. I'm not saying that's a a reasonable response. But I do think that the, the flu is significantly more dangerous at this point. And well, kills the flu, well, a lot more people. Well, the flu, right, the flu just has just killed somewhere between a quarter of a million and 700,000 people a year worldwide for so long that it's like we're bored of it. Right. Uh, I, I do believe that the flu has a slightly, at least in America, a slightly lower rate of uh, mortality. I think like 90... But once again, to your point, coronavirus, not pretty high mortality rate. No, but higher than the flu. I think that sure. the I think the influenza's mortality rate is something like a half of a percent. Sure. Or a third of a percent or something. I think that the coronavirus's mortality rate is something like 2%. Hmm. So I think like 98% of people that have the coronavirus don't die. But the problem with that is that... Well, the problem with that is that I was at a casino the other day and... I flopped top trips and some guy rivered quads on me. Two percent still a kind of well, a bummer. Well, here's the thing: a lot of SARS, I feel like, was very easily contained. SARS is actually a version of the coronavirus, if I'm not mistaken. But the mortality rate was very high. So if the mortality rate is extremely high for a infectious disease, then people don't go to work with it and go to the people sick. They die in their house. Right. So, fourteen percent of people who have coronavirus don't display any symptoms. So you're just an asymptomatic carrier, and you're just out there in the world coronavirusing. Sure. And many more people than that would feel a little sick, like we often do, but go to work and just say, I'm going to wash my hands. Yeah. Uh, so diseases don't get big like the flu or big like the coronavirus if mostly what they do is immediately kill you because right. people just die, and then you can quarantine it. Right. But if you're walking around just feeling kind of sick and don't feel like you're on your deathbed, that's how you can... You know, a lot more people are going to get sick. Uh, So I think that just the idea that the coronavirus is like this, like, bubonic plague that is coming for us is crazy. Uh, But, I mean, the flu is a massive public health risk. And and if if there was something that was, you know, even 10 times more virulent than the flu that, you know, rips through a senior center, right? Or even something 10 times more virulent than the flu that rips through an office building 
well, now all of your healthcare infrastructure is being stressed by a lot more people involved. How does that affect the amount of resources that can be thrown at your dialysis patients that are coming in on Tuesday? Sure. So the coronavirus could be very disruptive. We do need a robust response. Trump's response shouldn't be, it's fine, the markets (laughs) will be good. But I also think that some of the insane doomsday stuff, I think that a lot of people who are just like following along are under the impression that if they were to know somebody who tested positive for it or and then you know they had ran into them at the store or something that they're going to die now right which it's, is probably not the case it's probably not the case and it's just not productive right uh i think when people think that a public health crisis is more of a boogeyman than it is then they're less likely to go get treated right or to tell people they have it you know right so uh, a message so dan so don't go hang out with dan <laughs> but if you do hang out with Dan Madalone and he has the coronavirus, what is it? It's 98% chance it's not going to kill you. Very true. And you might even have you fun. Know what they say, what doesn't kill you. He's probably going to pour you a stiff drink and put a Queens of the Stone Age record on. You might even have fun. 98% chance you're not going to die. Yep. Hopefully he puts on, uh, you know, not songs for the dead. Get it? Because, <laughs> you know, you're not trying to die. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Anyway. So, Sex and City. We want to talk about Sex and City today. Not the I had Jeff a... Gordon album. No. Dan's band is putting out an album called Sex and the City. We're going to talk about the HBO program. So I'm, in the past, and up till now, I was talking to Croza about it the other day. I'm very anti-big. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm vaguely anti-big, although I find well, him interesting, and we will get to reasons why I find him interesting later. Right, I mean, I would say in the last three hours, I've changed my tune a little bit on this, because I saw an episode today. Okay. But uh, one of the points that I brought up to Croza, that when I was talking to Croza about it, I made it seem like it was my idea, but it was something that I read in a Wikipedia article about Sex and the City. Okay. <laughs> I just wanted to think I was cool. Uh it's that, uh, well, they didn't state it as plainly, or I guess they didn't make the connection to why one might not like him, but they did make this observation, and I thought that uh, John Wikipedia was correct about it. Sure. Big doesn't have any friends. Big has no friends. Well, he has friends in the first season that we meet. No, they're not his friends. But they're they're not like friends. They're business colleagues. Sure. They're people that he sees on the circuit. They're people who have weird houses that Carrie has to go into and not smoke, much to her chagrin. Mm-hmm. Smoker's rights. Yep. Smoker's rights, uh, big platform of mine. But I am not a leper. Big any doesn't. Big doesn't have friends. Yeah, and I think that that contrasts strongly with the crew. Right? Say what you will about uh, how stupid and vapid they are, but I do believe that their affection and commitment for each other is is real friendship. Yes. Yes. It is. Uh, big doesn't have any friends. I mean, that's part of the sort of like. I mean procedural nature of the program right you know carrie has a problem that speaks to some larger problem about relationships i couldn't help but wonder you know charlotte says oh just communicate and 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 be loving and be there for your partner and everything will be okay and then samantha says oh the only place women get to choose anything is when you fuck them and then miranda's (laughs) like i don't know about all this Uh, could we change the conversation please and then carrie's like you know hmm is dating in your 30s like the coronavirus? 
where oh, it only a- kills 2% of people, but the other 98% get very sick. <laughs> <laughs> so, so here's a question. Some are even asymptomatic. I was, I was, uh, I was so after I exercise, I always have a uh, Keystone Light Tall Boy in the shower. Treat myself. Sure. Usually I listen to a podcast while I do this. Today, uh, I didn't have a lot of time to ride the bike because I was coming over here. I didn't want to be any later than I was. I was late today. It's okay. Uh, it's, so he was right on time. I was the, the gnocchi was coming out. Yeah. I, was, I, I cooked and it was the food was coming I, out. Right I, that's together. kind of you. If he was earlier, then it would have. He would have had to sit around and wait for me to finish cooking. So we. So we. Uh, I. I only watched. I only did the bike for like the first twenty minutes of the Sex and City episode. Usually, I. I've been on for the bike a full X Files, yeah, which is like a 40, 46. Yeah. Uh, X Files is off it's a hot prime, 46. so it's off prime now. Yeah, so I've can been, you pay for it? Yeah, but they got to catch me on the right night. Yeah, so I I've been watching more Sex in the City. So I watched about you know twenty minutes of a Sex in the City, and then I just listened uh, to the episode while I was having my shower, having my uh, my Keystone talk in, and. Uh, I wondered when every time that Carrie is typing into the computer and she's like, I just couldn't help but wonder about the current, you know, right. Are we to assume that she's always writing her column when she does that? Or is she just journaling when she does that? I think that that's writing her column. I think that that's the assumption. So she often talks about people who are intimately involved in her life in her column. Yes. I think that's the nature of the column. But. I don't think we see on screen the real life impact that would come from divulging those details of your life all the time. Like, I just feel like her, like she talks about Miranda, and then Miranda said, and then she references right. Big all the time. Big would might not know that he's only called Big in their world, sure, but Big would be able to realize, oh, this is me in the column. Sure. Like, wouldn't, also, Samantha's wouldn't, like a PR person. Right. Like, right. No, for she's sure. She's a, a figure to many folks. She's a public figure in New York City, at least in their scene. Right. So what I'm saying is that wouldn't big at least, wouldn't a plot point have to be big being like, are you serious? Like, why are you writing another column about me? I'm married and you've been with Aiden for two months now. Sure. Like, I just feel like that's completely unrealistic if that's always her column. Like, if her column is really that confessional about her life, then these people who we are seeing her interact with all the time would at least like have something to say about it, sure. right? Like if you had a, if you well, had that a, brings me to my point that Big has no opinions or agency and is really just a shell of a human being in a character, and everything that exists about Big is put onto him by Carrie. It's essentially, uh, you know, it's a projection. It's a projection of Carrie. Yeah, but but still, like her friends would still have something to say about that. Very true. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Like we, and and even if they were okay with it. They would still, when they're having drinks at brunch, like bring up like, oh, I saw your column last week. Like you talked about like how I have mm-hmm. herpes now. Like that would at least right. come up. Right. You know? Yeah. Um, so I wonder sometimes is she just journaling? Are we just to assume that she's journaling? This was really bothering me. Today. So here's a question. Maybe the whole thing, maybe all the friends are also projections of Carrie. Maybe none of these people are real. Oh. Okay, Chuck Klosterman. <laughs> Holy shit. You don't think any of them are real? I mean, I do, but I'm saying one possible explanation could be that she Oh, her version of the events is just so intensely first-person oriented that it's just her POV spin on it, and it's like how she remembers all these events and all of its glorious subjectivity, or... 
not necessarily like those could be essentially those could essentially work as characters in a column that are supposed to represent herself. Oh, so it's all just fiction. Different sides of the same person, different sides of a die, so if you will. So it's all so just Samantha is her friend in the column that is like really, you know, So this is so this isn't Carrie's life. More this sultry is, and slutty parts of right, Carrie's. Right. So this is so this is so this isn't Carrie's life. Prowess. This is a dramatic interpretation of Carrie's column. The show is in this telling. Not necessarily, no. We're, but almost the opposite. The column is a dramatic interpretation of Carrie's psyche, and the other characters, her friends, and Big especially, represent differing parts of her psyche. The part that wants to get married, the part that's careerist, the part that just wants to go out and fuck. Like, and she uses those characters in her column to represent those right. parts of her psyche. But I'm wondering how meta is that? Like, are the events that we're seeing still happening on Earth, or are they just a dramatic telling? I don't know. I don't know. I've also, for the record, and for and you know, the three <laughs> listeners that will ever even listen to this, I rewatched season two of Westworld in the last two days. <laughs> so let me just come at this from there. Like, I'm I'm coming into this with Westworld brain. I've been watching Westworld and Sex in the City, which is very bizarre. Wouldn't that be worthy of like a reveal though? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, a, like, so would this be kind of like on the level of the uh, Bob Newhart show where it's all a dream at the end or whatever? Like That's Dallas, I believe. Is that Bob Newhart as well? I think at Bob Newhart it was all a dream. Because there's parts of Dallas that were a dream. Or, I don't know. Well, we'll we're going to have to Wikipedia that and get back to the, the um, listeners. But yeah, no, I think that's like, I mean, obviously that's what the characters in the show exist as, right? Well, that's what, right, in this this HBO show, that could be a thematic thing that happens in the screenwriting. Right. But I'm talking about actually, but I'm actually saying. supposed to be the representations of these different parts of her psyche and the psyche of women. Right, well, and that can be be an analysis of this media, but what I'm saying is like, do you think that we are supposed to take the events that that we see on the screen that they happened at face value or are we to assume that they are things that Carrie is just cooking up? I think you're supposed to take it all with a grain of salt. You know what I mean? Like, see, I, I, I've, I, I've never taken it that way. I've, I've taken it that like that could be an analysis or that could add some, like some cultural gravitas to it, or that could be like a fun themology like or a fun two, lens to see it through. How but small I was, is the penis of the guy that Samantha's seeing? Like it can't be that small, right? Like these things are, they seem to be dramatized and exaggerated a little bit. Yeah, but is it, but I guess like, is it really any crazier to think that HBO would dramatize those things for a early 2000s romp than it would be that those things would be exaggerated in a sex column? Yeah, I mean, I suppose so. You know, that could be true. You know, I think like if we, if we accept that like the show is just this romp and it's just fun, then like of course stuff would be exaggerated like that. Sure. Now, where that goes out the window is this added layer of sort of meta commentary that I hadn't considered before that you're introducing now. Sure. Um but yeah, I think that's like sort of the idea behind the column is that like, you know, obviously these are her friends, but within them being her friends, she can sort of use them as archetypes to have a column that speaks to more different kinds of women. Right, but I think that if... That's true, but I think that if she's doing that all the time, wouldn't they 
ever at least bring that up? Wouldn't we need to see that happen on screen? Yeah, I mean, I agree. And that's like bad planning from, you know, the show, right? That's bad planning. Or it's also possible that I'm considering that every time she's on the computer, she's not writing the column. Sure. She might just be journaling. She might be journaling. I don't or, know. Or hear me out, Westworld, none of them are real. They're all projections of <laughs> Carrie's imagination. Right. That would be, well, that would be interesting. Westworld. <laughs> that would be really interesting. Yeah. Um, anyway. So, so big. Uh, I'm on season three. Uh, and really, I've been down on big. I've just been like, why is Carrie freaking out about this guy? Sure. Right? Like, it's not like, it's not like if you are a well-compensated and uh, stylish and famous sex columnist for... You know what appears to be some sort of a fictionalized version of you, the New York Post or the Daily News. Right. Uh, it's not like it would be hard for you to meet uh, people who either are hedge fund guys or banker guys who like make some money and of which she meets many. Of which she meets many, right? Uh, so it, it although just big never... is like I believe like compared to Donald Trump in like season one, if I'm not mistaken, which like obviously now has very different connotations, but like right. But 20 years ago, meant something different. Right. So I think he might be a little richer. Right, he's he's a little bit of an alpha dog in this world. Right, um, but even still, it's like I don't think he's particularly attractive. No, I mean I just watched an episode where she goes to therapy and meets a guy named Seth, who is John Bon Jovi. For the record, yes, it is literal John <laughs> Bon Jovi. I saw John this bon one Jovi. recently, and she ends the so relationship I Google- because her therapist told her she picks the wrong guys, and she's in bed with John Bon Jovi. And he says something like, oh, I have trouble with my relationships with women. I sleep with them, and then I, I, I lose interest. And then Carrie says, I pick the wrong guys. And there's no more discussion. The relationship is over. And they both, they roll over, and they both look at the ceiling and with this, like, resigned look of, like, well, how could it ever work now? Right. We couldn't possibly use English words a little further to explore <laughs> one another's feelings, thoughts, fears, and emotions. We couldn't make a go at this. This is how this ends. Right. And this, this dovetails back on to something we were talking about before, where you had brought up the idea that, like, in Sex and the City, it's truly insane how quickly, not only how, I feel like it's more likely that people realize that it's insane how quickly people dive into relationships on Sex and the City, and they're like, I love you. This sure. is real. But what's even crazier is... The immediacy when, of... The immediacy of the decoupling. Right. Just any any minor issue pops up. They're like, well, couldn't possibly ever deal with this. Yep. And it's, it's very and strange. They, it's, like, it's like, I don't know. I mean, maybe the world hasn't always been this way. But, like, you know, I mean, you're a person who has been with some people. I'm a person who's been with some people. You know, it's like yeah, once that stops, it's like you just see them all the time after that. <laughs> Like, right. generally speaking. Right, sure. Like, as, as a person who, like, lives in a city, like, you're generally just going to, like, run into those people all the time. Is like, that's kind of how it works. Right. And it's like, they seem to be going to pretty much all the same parties with the same crowds and running into, like, similar folks, yet no one runs into their ex. You know Except what I mean? Except for big for plot purposes. Except for big for plot purposes. It, but it's just, like, the, the, the decoupling is so clean and immediate and clear. It's, like, very, very strange. There's an episode where uh, Miranda and Steve are totally happy at the beginning of the episode. Uh, they're eating either ramen or pho or something, right? Who is Steve? Uh, Steve was is Miranda's primary partner. He talks like this. Okay. Uh, You're a little ahead of me. So he's the bartender. But once again, the nature of the... 
Oh, the bartender? She's back with the bartender in season three? Oh, I'm sorry, spoilers. Well, but that's yeah. great. I liked but, him. Yeah, I, I liked him. Steve's great. He was a really nice So, guy. Uh, they're perfectly happy. Uh, I'm also out, a bartender. They're out West to... Uh, <laughs> you're on the same track. You're on the same loop. They're, uh, they're, out at, they're out getting some f- soup, and uh, there's a child there, and Miranda says, Who brings a child to a restaurant? Killer line reading by uh, Cynthia. Yeah. She's a fucking terrible actress. She's not very good. Uh, and then Steve says, well, I think kids are great. And then sure. Steve waves to the kid or whatever. And then Steve's like, let's have a baby. Okay. And then uh, Miranda's like, Steve, we can't have a baby. I'm making partner. I'm working 14 hours a day. I'm looking after you. You're a fucking child. You're a bartender. I have deep disdain for you. And what? Just having a child is going to fix all that? And then Steve's like, I kids, what do you mean? And then, uh, you know, Miranda has to go have Cosmos and talk about this with her friends after. Right. And then she's like, I just think everything's wrong with my relationship with Steve, but I just don't know about my eggs. And then Samantha's like, eggs? More like dicks. And then, you know, no one gives her any good advice at all. That's sure. at all reasonable. Sure. And then uh, Steve calls her at work. So and they bring like, back even the egg issue for, uh, for Miranda. Yeah, they're talking about eggs. Okay, because she's only got the one... The one side. The one, one side. One, is it like the one ovary? Let's not go down this road, because I don't know, <laughs> and you don't know. Okay, fair. I don't know. I know, she's got one. She, she's only got one. Do you need two? She's got you one. Need two, she's or, got no, one. maybe you only need one. I think she. I think you'd like to have two if you're you'd like Cynthia. To, you'd like to have two. You'd like to have two. She's got one. It's like a kidney, but Better for... Better than zero. It's like a kidney, but for making more stuff. You'd like... Yeah. You'd like to. You got one. You know. If your kidney made another kidney. Hey. Hey. <laughs> when you eat your family. Yeah. So, uh, she doesn't get any good advice at lunch. Of course. So then she goes back to work. She's stressed. She's working 14-hour days. She wants to make partner. All in the same episode. Uh, and then Steve says, hey, meet me at 3rd and 58th. And then she's like, okay. And it's a p- puppy store. Right. So he's like, I was thinking we could start here. And she's like, I don't want a dog, but the plot. So they get a dog. Right. And then and then maybe there was a commercial in real life. But then the puppy wakes her up on the first night. And she goes, Steve, this will never work. This isn't me. This is us. We're never going to work. And they break up. And then there's still enough time in the episode that she becomes partner. It's insane. So it's like what a week. They just chew plot. What yeah. a day. You what know what I mean? Day. Like yeah, I just can't believe how much plot they chew sometimes. No. Uh back to big. <laughs> back to big. So what I was saying about big is I wasn't really big on big. But we hadn't seen big in a while. Sure. Carrie's been with Aiden. He's a Kevin Costner knockoff. Sure. Uh he Who has is a big a knockoff of. I want to say know. Russell Crowe, but not really. No, he's not a Russell Crowe knockoff. I mean, is it like, like homeless man's Humphrey Bogart is what they're going for? They're going for homeless man's Humphrey Bogart. Yeah, it doesn't work. No. Anyway, continue. I'm sorry. Uh, that that so profoundly Carrie, depressed me. Carrie's going. <laughs> profoundly depressing. I don't so, know if I'm gonna have much to say the rest of the episode. So Carrie is going to a party. She's got it like a new boyfriend. We haven't heard from Big in a long time, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, they're on a boat. Natasha, Big's new wife, uh, you know, doesn't make it in time. Sure. Uh, Carrie, Carrie's new uh, Costner knockoff. Basically, the Costner thing is you just be sort of an alpha male, but you talk softly. Yeah, sure. 
He just talks like this. Does he throw a baseball? No, but if he did, you get the idea he'd throw the shit out of it. Yeah. 88 miles an hour. Oh, sure. Heater. Yep. He's 38 years old. He'd crack 88 miles an hour. Here's a question. He's best, ready to have a best kid. Best Kevin Costner knockoff. It's got to be Dennis Quaid, right? Quaid, like, Quaid is so good, it's Cost, hard. Costner it's hard just to, got a little older, and they just like subbed Quaid into those roles. Right, but it's hard to... I think that Quaid is good enough that he's not a poor man's Costner the way that this guy is. Okay. Right. Um, what's the best Quaid? What's your favorite Quaid? I don't know. He's good as the aging quarterback in any given Sunday. It's more of a supporting mm. role for him, but he's quite good. Uh, the rookie Quaid, you know, that was a good one. Is Quaid in that really bad movie that won... Uh... Best Picture? Yeah. Crash? Is, is he in Crash? I think Quaid might be in Crash. Quaid's either in Crash or the drug war one that has Topher Grace. You're talking about Traffic? Yeah, he's either in Traffic or he's in uh, Crash. Um, Quaid's in one of them. Let's do... Let's just do a quick little... Boo-ba-doo-boo-boo. I need to get a little more wine. I, I feel you, dog. I don't know if Quaid is, is in this movie here. Crash. Um... Yeah, not seeing Dennis Quaid here. Maybe I'm forgetting something here. Is yeah, Quaid no. in? Quaid is in Quaid in Traffic? Quaid in Traffic. I love Traffic. I haven't seen that movie in like 15. Traffic's years. great. Um, it's like Benicio del Toro and Martin Sheen. Love Martin Sheen. But I don't know if Quaid's in that movie either. Honestly, am I missing something here? Oh, Quaid is in that movie. Yep. Huh. Smaller role, apparently. I knew Quaid's one of those. There. I knew one of those movies had Quaid. Or not Martin Michael Douglas. Michael Douglas. I'm losing my mind. I gotta watch that movie again. It's been like 15 years. He's like the drug czar. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we haven't seen Big in a while. <laughs> so we haven't seen Big in a while. Carrie's at this party where she doesn't know that she's gonna see Big, mm. and because Carrie doesn't know that she's gonna see Big, I don't know that she's gonna see Big, sure. especially because I've never seen Sex in the City before. Sure. So Carrie's at the bar. Uh, there's a really bad magazine in New York City that's having their premiere, and you know Aiden doesn't want to go because he's like a sustainable carpenter, can't be bothered with that shit. So he's a sustainable carpenter. I don't know. I'm just. Oh, all right. Uh, he plants a tree every time he makes a chair. <laughs> so, <laughs> uh, Carrie grabs her Cosmo and turns around, and Big is standing there. Mm. And he says, "Hello, Carrie." I gasped, which is remarkable. I couldn't believe it. I like I like I freaked out. Like right. I was it was the payoff was enormous. It was so satisfying. I was like fuck big is there. Like it it felt like a moment. Uh which is insane because the show is so stupid. Yeah, it's, it's so unearned. Usually they never get me to emotionally invest. They're is, really does, really bad at does that, any emotional anything. What I'm wondering is sentence. what I'm wondering is if you're a famous TV show that just becomes part of the cultural lexicon, part of the cult, part of the cultural conversation. You're part of the zeitgeist. Is is it just is a will they won't they just the one tried and true move to keep people emotionally invested, like just like a Ryan, a Ryan in a summer, I mean, a Ted Danson in the Annoying Lady. I mean Seth in summer. Seth in summer. Ted uh, Danson in the Annoying Lady. <laughs> Diane. 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 Uh, well, Seth and Summer and, and not even Ryan Jim and uh, Ryan and uh, Ryan and Marissa. 
Yeah, Imogen Heap. Yeah, like is that just is that just the methodology? Like, is the if everyone is watching a show and it's super famous, and then additionally, there's a will they won't they romantic couple, and you decouple them, and then leave one of them off the screen for a while, and then bring them back. Is that just always going to be that way, or was this just like a well constructed scene for me? You know, I'm a person who really is like very, very overly critical of both The Office and Parks and Recreation for just being not funny uh, for like the last three seasons of like each one and just getting overly sentimental and relying on things like that. This red is good. Um, It's just good. Um, But like people like really were emotionally moved by like Jim and Pam's wedding. And like by that point, I'm just like, couldn't care less about any of this like oh no 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 i didn't care about that right like those are moments that for me don't really make you know don't really a good tv show make but i guess it works because like people care do you think it's possible that because big was off the screen for a while i was able to divorce myself from all of big's hypothetical shortcomings as a carry partner and then i was just like Oh, I can only I can see him for what he means to her in this moment. Yeah, and that could be true. Um, you know, it's been like three. You know, it's absence, been three. It makes the heart grow. Fonder. It's been three days since I've seen Big. Right, right, right. <laughs> they've been they've been apart for six months. Speaking of uh, the OC, briefly, uh, my girlfriend Haley and I watched an episode today, and it was the Nana. You familiar with the Nana? It's season one episode of the OC, Sandy's mother comes to Orange County. She has cancer. It's a very heavy episode. She has advanced lung cancer. I, is it Sandy's mom? or th- Sandy's mom, yeah. And Ryan but she, goes but this- back to Chino because Marissa's in Chino. And then, you know, the end of the episode is happening and, and Sandy's mother says, you know, I'm deciding to get treatment for this lung cancer that I have. And Ryan gets back from Chino with Marissa and Sandy says to Ryan, he says, hey, how's home? How was home? And uh, Ryan says to Sandy, he goes, I don't know, you tell me. I was in Chino. And I'll tell you what, I've watched season oh one of the OC God. like six or seven times. Maybe not that many, maybe like four times. But I still, I got misty, man. It was like, I, I literally turned to Haley and I go, that was good. <laughs> yeah, but you're, t- well, that's what I was going to say is you're talking about a good show now. That's true. You're bringing up one of the all-time great seasons of television. But I guess my point is Sex that I'm an easy get. You know what you're I mean? An easy, right, you're, I'm an easy get with stuff like that. It's right. like not that hard to get me. Um, and, and Sex in the City never does that for it you. It never gets me. Right. Like, I'm never emotionally... I'm like, let's ramp around. Let's talk about butt stuff. Like, this is what I enjoy about this. You know what I mean? Like, let me watch the same procedural. It's like, you, want, you want to see... It's like the CSI of just, like, fun social interactions. Exactly. I love that. You know what I mean? That's I loved, I really I loved recently... Uh, Samantha is seeing a New York City firefighter. Okay. And by seeing, I mean, she literally sees him and thinks that his muscles are big. And then... Then she decides to fuck him at the firehouse. See, that's the kind of and, plot and, that I love. <laughs> it's amazing. I mean. And he's wearing, uh, she's wearing, he walks into the like large firehouse area, the main area, not like the hanging out den where like Dan Madeline's dad makes chili, like the, sure. the like big part. 
So I don't uh, know what you're talking about, but I'm just gonna keep. Let's well, keep it looks like a fire area. It's not like where they're all hanging out at the fire station. It's like there's trucks there. Oh, they could okay. drive them out onto the street and fight a fire. Gotcha. The garage. It's the staging area. St- you know, staging area. Sure. <laughs> it's where they do their prep work For to the make fires. their fire souffle. So <laughs> it's their prep station. So she goes hello, <laughs> and she slides down a fire pole. Of course, she's Love wearing it. no clothes in the fire uniform, and she looks at the fireman. And she goes, nice pole. <laughs> it was perfect. See, that's what I love about this. I know show. it's great. Uh, oh, that's great. It's good. That's good. Clean family fun. That's good fun. Uh, but you know, as far as liking stuff that's bad, which is something that I think that we both like to do to some extent. I think it's all good, baby. Well, yeah, sure. Because if it's bad and fun, then it's just good, you know. Well, exactly. But I like burnt. Like yeah, yeah. Like we both like the movie Burnt. Burnt starring Bradley Cooper is maybe my favorite film of all time. <laughs> right, right. But it's not. It's, it's, it's not. A, it's not it's good. Incredible. It's the worst written thing I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> sure. And it's truly an incredible piece of art. Right. So I'm wondering. I've I've been considering something. Are we posers? Because. We pretty much only, like, I feel like, not we, necessarily, me and you, because Burnt's truly a gem. You got to look for Burnt. Burnt's not knocking down your door. Like, you found Burnt. You've made Burnt find everybody else. But, like... It's it's my my mission in life. I'm like a Jehovah's Witness, but with the movie Burnt. Exactly, for sure. I have to spread the word. Like, you know... If I ever had any more demanding work than I already do, I might have to quit those jobs because I need to continue spreading. Watch Burn. It's great. Burn starring Bradley Cooper. Uh, but so a movie or a show like Sex in the City, right? Yes, that's knocking down your door. It's it's knocking down your door, but it's like it's fun for me. Like I get a kick out of celebrating the fact that I actually like Sex in the City. Okay. Right. Like I, I I definitely think I do because people are like a little incredulous about it, and I'm like, no, I like really like it. Yeah, yeah. But also on the other hand. I mean, it's I'm of, I'm cognizant of all of the ways that it has immense artistic shortcomings. hundred uh, percent. Yeah. But at the same time, I'm like, I don't care about that, and I like it. It's fun. And that and and I think that adopting those positions and it gives is you a template. Are you a carry? Are you a sure? You know it's I mean? it's, it's fun, like, right? But I think that in general, it's like the TV process by numbers. It's fantastic. It's fantastic. I agree. But I think that in general, the process of people who claim to at least some extent care about, if not culture, popular culture. Sure. Like us. The idea of celebrating and championing things that would have been considered of lower art or dismissed by critics before has some cultural cachet, right? But I don't think Sex and the City was dismissed by critics. You don't think so? Well, no. What I was saying is that... I think it was do, at the do, time a fairly, you know... Do, do these things only happen when the thing is really, really popular? Is there only this sort of like specific viewing experience of like... No, but actually it's good, but like it's really kind of bad. Does that only happen with really popular things? Once again, Burnt starring Bradley Cooper is one of my favorite films. I know, but but, but besides Burnt. Okay, besides Burnt. I don't know. I don't think so because like, you know. Maybe Sex and City is kind of like uniquely watchable as like important generationally popular television that's really bad and really incredible. Maybe there's not a lot like it. Yeah, I mean, because you, you can't watch you can't watch other things the same way, right? Like Cheers is actually good, but Cheers has its moments where it totally overdates itself, and it's you know it's it's. Don't you feel like Cheers is good in a different way than Sex and the City is good? 
Yes, but that's more, I think, a reflection of the fact that Cheers was a network television show and Sex and the City's cable. Like, that's probably the biggest difference. Um, you know, do I think that Sex and the City is any... But, like, Sex and the City is, like, not that different from, you know, a show like The L Word or a show like, you know... Even Girls would be a more modern example. Oh, I but there's a, there's a there are no, big differences because yeah, but isn't Sex and the City is truly unique. But isn't but isn't Girls way smarter and way less fun? Yeah, but all those shows are very unique, and it's like as long as you're, I think, taking you know the the, <laughs> the main thread about all these shows, right, is um, essentially you know sex and sexuality is like number one and paramount in all of these shows, relationships, however you want to phrase it. So I had to ask myself, um, right. Um, but the fact of the matter is, is that it will be endlessly interesting and fun if you simply are taking a snapshot of a specific time and a specific place and showing what that was like then, as long as the show itself in tone remains fairly loose. Like, it's going to work every time. Right. <laughs> it's right. just going to work every time. Um, right. Like, we shouldn't have a podcast. Like, we should just try to write... Yeah, just write show. a show about everyone having sex in Albany. You know what I mean? Like, and right. it's like people would love it. Right, and across the world, it'd be like, oh, a portrait of a gritty. small city, gritty, gritty. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, where it's like, no, it's just a different version of a time and a place where some people had some sex. It's like the old, you know, sex sells, man. You know, you ever watch the Americans? Half that show is fucking. They're just fucking. They're wearing wigs and fucking. It's one of the best shows I've ever seen in my life. They're wearing wigs and fucking. Yeah, it's like the whole Americans. Tom and Tom and Mark were watching that. They made it kind of seem like it was, uh, as uh, Philip Seymour Hoffman says, the and almost famous. It was a bit of a think piece. Yeah, it is. But they're also just fucking most of the time. It's a think piece. It's one of my favorite shows I've ever watched in my life, and it's just Russian spies wearing wigs and fake mustaches and having sex. It's like nine percent of it. And <laughs> yeah, I and that's the it. time and place, baby. It's, it's awesome. the '80s. It's the Cold War. It's yeah. fucking intense, man. You know what I mean? It's like. Who knew if Rocky Four was just like Rocky puts on a wig and a fake mustache and has a bunch of sex to try and stop the Cold War from... Mr. Gorbachev, put on a wig and tear down these walls. Right. Ooh, that's good. Tear down these walls. That's that's very good. But yeah, it's like, I don't know, sex sells. So I think that it, 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 all, it all flies. And even Sex and the City being like bad good is not a reflection of... of Really, anything like larger or deeper about the culture, right? I was I was wondering if there is like, so you know how there's definitely been like an undeniable poptimism movement in music criticism at like some yeah, higher levels. It's very annoying. right, like it's like Pitchfork is just like, yeah, I miss when pop stars were the devil. I liked that. I liked I liked because I still was able to like pop music. Well, I yeah, but I liked it halfway between then and where we are now. Like I liked it in like 2013 when they were like. Beyonce actually good, <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I agree. I agree completely. There was a there was a nice middle period there where people hadn't gone too far. I mean, at this point, it's like. So I was wondering if the new poptimism is liking bad good things. That's yeah. kind of what I was wondering. Sure. I mean, and you you might have a point there. Well, or, I don't know. I'm asking because you know, my life is pretty insular. Like Shannon and I cook dinner and then we watch some bad good Sex in the City, right? right? Like it's it's really easy for me to be like, well, that's what's happening to me, but I. I do feel like people really wear a badge of honor that they like things that are 
that are pop or that are lowbrow. Like you would think I'd like a highbrow thing, but really sure. I like this lowerbrow thing. Fucking interesting, right? Like, well, sure, yeah. No one, no one more than us. We are, we have a stupid fucking podcast, Michael. Like, of course, a hundred percent. But like, it's like. I don't know. I don't think it's like a thing. That's not a thing. And that's not a thing about Sex and the City. Sex and the City is just Sex and the City. Right. It doesn't have to reflect on that piece of television like that that's a thing. Like, sure, you get a kick out of saying you like Sex and the City because that's a funny, weird, interesting thing. Right. Because it's a fucking show that came out fucking 20 years ago. You, right. know, what's the, you know what's the opposite of that is Friday Night Lights, where Friday Night Lights seems like this like immediately accessible dramatic thing that's just like about sports but actually but actually it's the most salient portrayal of small town american life and socioeconomics that i've ever seen right and it's not cool to like friday Night Lights. it's not at all cool to like friday Night Lights. No except one, for terry did you know terry has a uh, friday, friday night lights tattoo, tattoo? Yep. shout out terry i love terry no i know like five people in my life that love friday night lights to the me, same degree that i do me you terry terry it's up there um who else likes friday night lights it's a good question I feel like Sarah Johnson likes Friday Night Lights quite a bit. She would. She has the spirit for Friday Night Lights. Pittsburgh, you know? Yeah. It's, you know. Who else likes um, Friday Night Lights? Maybe it's that's it. It's the list. It's four. So it's four. No, it's not four. No other, people, other people like Friday Night Lights. I love Friday Night Lights. Anyway. <sighs> um, but, yeah, it's not cool to like Friday Night Lights. So, you know. Don't right. you feel like Guardy would like Friday Night Lights? Yeah. He probably likes Friday Night Lights. Who's your favorite Friday Night Lights character? Coach. I knew you were going to say Coach Taylor. <laughs> I fucking knew it. You could probably pick mine. Riggins? No, I love Riggins. Who's my favorite? Saracen? Saracen. Yeah. Love Saracen. Saracen has the best scene. I think the best two scenes, honestly. The best scene is Saracen in the shower. Absolutely. Yep. My father left me for a war. Yep. Your daughter, your daughter left, me. left me. And now you're everyone leaves me. Killed it's, me. It, oh, it's murder. Saracen, Matt Saracen in Friday Night Lights made me cry like 14 times. <laughs> <laughs> no joke. Like 14 times. And oh, even in fucking season one before... Where Coach fucking pumps the crowd noise through the speakers. Can you call these plays? Can you call these plays? And he's got the stutter, and I, I got a thing with stutters where they, they emotionally... It's the only like, thing you like about Joe Biden. It wrecks me. <laughs> Folks have a stutter, and I'm just emotionally just so wrecked. Um, yeah, oh, that's serious thing. Yeah. Anyway. Um, but yeah. Sex in the city. They're having sex in the city, and I think it's good. Yeah, I think it's good, too. It's good. Sure, it has shortcomings. Every show's got shortcomings. We're having fun. We're having sex. Yeah, but it has some long comings, too. In the city and the city. <laughs> it has some long comings. You know what I saw recently? That was, was a good one. I totally breezed past. That was fantastic. I just, I, it, it was, was good. Yeah, it, was, it was good. Uh, I think that, uh, I think Big is a good actor. I think Christopher North is a good actor. You can elaborate. I just think he's one of the few characters that actually feels lived in and organic. I just feel like it just... It, I feel like he's a husk of a person. I don't feel that way at all. Yeah, but I think that he's portraying kind of a husk of a person. Well, yeah. But you haven't seen in season three when he comes back for You're Carrie right. to I've her I've seen house. this apparently emotionally salient and intense moment that made you gasp and... No, that wasn't what made me gasp. The no, the, sprinkle your moon dust. No, that wasn't, that wasn't, what, that wasn't what made me gasp. 
You're not listening. What made me gasp was when they ran into each other at on the, the boat. F- yeah, yeah. Right, but he, when they got back, ahoy, land ho, they got back to shore. Okay. And then <laughs> she went back to her house. He followed her. He followed her. So her and Aiden go inside. So you didn't say this on the on the microphone. You were yelling at me about this when I was cooking. <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying to like keep things on I track didn't, here. Yeah. I didn't even explain you this said to you. None of this in the microphone. You yelled this at me. No, while I, I was no, I didn't even. Pasta. I didn't even. No, I didn't even explain it very well. <laughs> so, so well, what happened was, uh, so they, Carrie gets home yeah. with uh, knockoff uh, Aiden. Yeah, Aiden. Aiden. Costner. Knock off Costner. Devin Costner. Devin Costner. <laughs> she gets so, home with Devin Costner. So, and she, uh, Costner goes to the fridge or something, uh, and then she starts playing. Wait, what does he do? Coffee grounds? No, I'm getting, I'm getting to that. I'm getting to that. Jesus. I'm piecing together so, here. So, uh, so she presses, she, she, she presses play on the answering machine, and it's Big's voice, and he says, Carrie. And then she just pauses it, and she's like, oh, fuck. And then because the plot needs... To move. Move and needs that guy to get out of there. He and they need him to be a little racist because it's like two thousand in New York City is white yeah, so he needs to be like a little racist. Gotta be super so racist. he goes, uh uh Hey Carrie, I'm gonna go see the Korean man, uh, I gotta get some coffee filters. Or I'm gonna go see I'm going to the I'm going to Korea something. He made some like like really stupid sure. corner store uh epithet. Sure. Uh I didn't like it. So then I was glad to see him go for that reason. Right. Uh, and then he goes and gets coffee filters. And I was just thinking, like, from a plotting perspective, beyond the just very lazy way that he did that, the the showrunners were like, yeah, well, it was almost like how in... Uh, like, it couldn't have been toilet paper. It couldn't have been toilet paper. Right. It, could, like, it couldn't have been, I'm going to get a six-pack or something. I love I love my partner, Haley. She's wonderful. She's amazing. Would you ever go into her house, see there weren't coffee filters, and immediately even go get coffee filters? Never. And I never. drink coffee essentially every single day, most of the time, a couple cups a day. Well, it's almost like in The Great Gatsby when they like switch the cars. It's like, well, you guys will get in this car, and we'll get in this car, and this car will crash. It's right. like, come on. Plot. Uh, just for the plot. Just so for the plot. I don't like when things happen just for the plot to move the chess pieces around. Oh, you would hate Pretty Little Liars. Uh, <laughs> well, no, I love Pretty Little Liars. <laughs> I, like it, well, I like it when it's bad because I'm cool. Right. So then... Uh, <laughs> So, I've watched every episode of that television show. It's seven seasons long. It has like 170 episodes that are all 45 minutes. Who's A? Oh, God. Uh, it's, it's. I mean, spoiler alert, folks who didn't want to watch it all. It's fucking Troy and Belisario. Spencer? Spencer has like a twin sister that they didn't know about. <laughs> <laughs> like, it's as bad as you think it is. It was brutal. Yeah, Spencer has like a twin sister that they didn't know about that was in an asylum and then so A was doing the whole thing. Allison was alive, and uh, everybody was alive, and Mona. But the strings were being pulled by a character that's so he goes and gets, in like the third to last episode. So he goes and gets. So he right. goes and gets coffee filters. Plot guy Race, racistly racistly goes to get coffee filters. <laughs> so so then uh, as soon he's nary out the door, that big knocks on the door and goes, "Did you listen to the message?" And she goes, "No." <laughs> and then he says. I can't stop. Or he doesn't say that. He doesn't say that. He said he's like I'm so fucked up, and like he's like having this like emotional breakdown. Mm. She's like, go home to your wife. And then she was like, I heard all the words I wanted to hear from him a year too late. And then she plays the message, and he's like, fuck, I can't stop thinking about you. It's like the most emotionally salient big that we get. Okay. So that was good. That was good to see. 
Sure. In the Christopher North actorly column. And does she leave Aiden immediately? No, uh, Aiden comes back to the house, okay. we, th- we think. But, but he's like, got the coffee. No, no, he doesn't. She goes, and he took way too long to come back. And we don't see him come back. And we're like, well, did he come back? Did he find something else to do? <laughs> yep. Uh, was he just like, hey, honey, go make a pack of cigarettes. And right, just was fucking he, was he, fucking New England. Was he, was, he taken, was he taken down by angry Korean people who were like, <laughs> right. don't tokenize us for our coffee filters? Right. I don't know. Yeah. Uh, but he never comes back, and we fade to black, and you know, we'll do Sex and the City next week. But uh, in any case, uh, what have you been eating lately? Oh, Subject change. Eaten. So we did a homemade gnocchi tonight. Uh, Delicious. I did a pizzeria badia in Philadelphia. I got this pizza that was roasted garlic, sun-dried tomato cream, collard greens. What's what's sun-dried tomato cream? It was what they used for the sauce, man. I know, but what is incredible. that? Explain that. I don't that. fucking know what that is. They made it at the restaurant. It was unbelievable. Well, you can't describe it to me? I mean, it was like a fucking it, saucy, creamy fucking sauce. And it just tasted ta- right, like, it was, and it just was sun-dried tomato flavor. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, it was super creamy, super wonderful, and uh, Royer Mountain Cheese, which was like great. It was like the the, the meal itself was was delightful. I had a great bottle of wine. Um, yeah, those are the things I've been eating. But I don't want to talk about food right now. I know you just brought up food. Is there something you want to talk about with food? Well, why don't you tell the audience about uh, DJ Vinny Dice? Oh. And- <laughs> Oh, I had a great meal. Oh, wow. This is, yeah, I forgot about this. Okay, this is why you brought this up, because I brought this up yesterday when we were planning this. I had an amazing meal in Rockaway Beach. One of the best meals I've had in the last couple of years. Um, this place called Wits End in Rockaway. And it was, we walk in, it's BYOB, but there's an open kitchen and, like, I'm seeing some of these plates coming this out. This is because Dave is the best. This is the only yeah, reason yeah. why this happened. Shout out to my friends Dave and Anna, who are wonderful and who are some of my favorite folks in the entire world. Um, so, I <laughs> get to this restaurant. It's BYOB, which is, you know, some places you can bring your own wine. There's a corking fee, whatever. So, it's, like, similar kind of vibe, whatever. Open kitchen. Plates coming out look amazing. Um, so, we're sitting there. We bring this really nice bottle of champagne. I'm looking at the menu. It turns out the chef is a fisherman. <laughs> Amazing. It's all day-caught shit. Like, this this motherfucker goes out with his boat and fishes and serves whatever he catches. So I get these, like, day-caught sea scallops with a butternut squash risotto that are fucking incredible. Uh, whole roasted bone-in flounder. It's absolutely fantastic. Like, this meal is off the charts. Wild good. We brought a really nice bottle of champagne. It was just all around fantastic. Um, but it was so strange. There was like a tableside magician <laughs> <laughs> doing like, like pick a card, any card, pick a card. And like we're waiting for our food. And I'm watching these plates Nice pole. And this is like gourmet type stuff. You know what I mean? Like this is like really special, special stuff that's coming out of this kitchen. And it's a nice pole. And it's like, oh, it's behind your ear. And it's like, did you check your pocket? And it's like, there's like a fruit on the table. And he like cuts open the fruit. And there's a card in the fruit. And I'm like, what's happening here? Um, there's this DJ too who's playing like late 90s trance and dance jams. Like this just 2000s. sounds like a dream that you had. It felt like a dream that I had because it's like, you know, 
uh, it's like, hey, pick a card, any card. And I'm like trying to like talk to the waitress. It's like, yes, yeah, so I'll have the day-caught scallops with the butternut squash risotto. And I think we're going to do the whole roasted flounder bone in, uh, which is like this massive. And then it's like a 90s remix of, tell me lies, <laughs> tell me sweet little <laughs> lies. Like, every time I touch, I get this feeling. And the DJ's like, yo, who wants shots? Like, it's like, he's like a cartoon character. Um, He's like a cartoon man. It's like, all right, your dad's a cop. Um, <laughs> you know the guys. pension's fat. All right, who wants shots? Hey, it was like some woman's birthday. He's like, it's your 30th birthday. You want a shot? And it's like, but the place doesn't even have liquor. It's BYOB. So did they bring their own shots? I don't know. I don't know. It was it's so a logistical strange. problem. You're not sure uh, about it. But I'm guessing the DJ's got a fucking fifth of fucking some kind of vodka under the fucking DJ booth. It was insane. Wits and Rockaway. Weirdest fucking dining experience in my life. One of the best meals I've ever eaten in my entire life. It was, the food was off the charts. And I'll be honest, the magician was good. The magician was good. Really? He was good. In every other iteration of this I've heard you tell, which is probably four to five iterations, I never got the impression that the magician was good. He was quite good. Yeah. I mean, I'll put it this way. What's the mark of a magician being good? I didn't know how he did his tricks. (laughs) 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 That was it, you know? I didn't know how he did his tricks. Yeah, that's true. Uh, you know, I couldn't figure it out. I thought about it for a little while, and I was like, I can't crack it. You know? So, one thing that I really like about Sex and the City is how much uh, Kim Cattrall just completely commits to the role. Yeah, yeah. She's, uh, she's hamming. She's hamming it up. She, I watched an episode recently where she discovers uh, Viagra. Uh, okay. She's, she has a partner who is uh, taking Viagra recreationally. Okay. And... Uh, um, she thinks it's a little weird at first, and then he's like, "I don't need it, baby." Our friend used to take Viagra recreationally. <laughs> I know, won't name names, but we yeah. had a friend in college who used to just like crush up Viagra, fucking. Oh, I don't know. I used. To, I didn't know. I, he think snorted he, him. I think he snorted him. I think he would snort a lot of Viagra. And be like, dude, you can stay hard for hours. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, man, that's like the nature of this shit. It's like, it's like Adderall, but you just have a boner all the time. <laughs> like, all right, man, rock and roll, brother. Can't believe, can't believe it. <laughs> Anyway. It's important to remember that every version of reality is happening at the same time. <laughs> right. right. So, uh... He's a magician at this restaurant. My so, friend used to blow so, Viagra. So, I don't know. So, uh... He's like, I take it so that we can take a ride in your stratosphere. Or something like that. You know, sure. that's what the guy said on the show. It was, sure. good. It was good line reading. Sure. Uh, <laughs> and, then, and then... And then Charlotte asks him for one. Okay. And she takes one. Charlotte takes the Viagra. Or not Charlotte, uh, Samantha takes one. Samantha takes one, okay. Uh, and uh, Kim Cattrall has to really portray her level of ecstasy after having taken this Viagra while... So it makes her very horny. No, it's in the act. It makes her very satisfied. Oh. And her commitment to this bit... So she's like coming, coming. She's like... Rejaculating, she's right, like, and her commitment to this bit was unbelievable. It's cyclical ejaculation. <laughs> it was m- less like long, like is encyclical, but more uh, explosive. Okay, gotcha, gotcha. It, I'm, but I'm just like Apollo 13. I, I just kind of feel, <laughs> I just kind of feel like there's an argument for for to win the Emmy for that <laughs> for this whole thing. <laughs> like she just truly committed to the whole thing. Like Daniel Day Lewis. I mean, did he even care about Lincoln? You know what I mean, compared to this. Yeah, I mean, what's a bunch of research? Like, let me see you come. <laughs> <laughs> let me see you fake come. <laughs> Only person uh, I see fake come is my girlfriend. Every day. Hey, sorry, sorry. I don't know. Do we have anything else to talk about? I don't know. Um, yeah, Van Morrison. 
Oh, oh, I wanted to do big a, anniversary. Big anniversary, fiftieth anniversary of Moon Dance, as a as a Moon Duster. Dan, how do you feel about Moon Dance by Van Morrison? Do they know? Do the do the people know the Moon Dust story? I don't think the people know the Moon Dust story. Dan LaFave sprinkles his Moon Dust all over every goddamn room. You can tell. You can tell it. Uh, <laughs> we play a card game called Pitch. That's a, a sort of bidding, trick taking card game. It's a form of whist. It's a form of whist. It's a form of bid whist. Um, but it's called Pitch, and uh, essentially we're playing it's late one night, two in the morning, and we're at Dan's parents' house. Um, and we'd had a couple beers that night, whatever, and Dan had to go to the bathroom in we between probably hands. Had, we probably had, like, a lot of beers. We had a good amount of beers. So Dan's got to go to the bathroom in between hands. So what it's I do... Me, who is me, my sister... Yep, Dan's sister, myself, Stumer? our friend Stumer, and I believe Mark was there Yeah, Mark well. was there. And so Dan goes to the bathroom. I am like, I'm going to rig the deck. So I rig the deck to essentially give Dan this amazing hand that allows him to do this thing called shoot the moon, which essentially means I'm going to win every uh, hand that is played. I'm going to take every trick. I'm going to get all the points available to win. Uh, Dan has never shot the moon in his life. He's played the game. How long have you played pitch for, Dan? Mm, 20 years. 20 years. Dan's played pitch for 20 years. He's never shot the moon. Um... So we rig it so we can do this thing called shoot the moon and win everything, whatever. And we, we bid it up, essentially the nature of the game. You cannot bid less than the person who has bid before you. So we sort of force his hand at shooting the moon, which he card by card realizes he's going to successfully do since we've rigged it for that to happen. And as he's putting down cards, he's getting more and more excited. He's, he's sort of rocking back and forth and <laughs> giggling to himself when he's going, I'm shooting the moon, I'm shooting the moon. And we are cackling because we can't, we can't even fucking contain ourselves because it's so funny. So he finally completes it, shoots the moon in this card game, does this thing that's really, really hard to do, gets up at 2 in the morning, runs through his entire house. We're in the basement. He runs upstairs. Runs. Well, I, it's we not a, so it's not a big house. It's not a big house. And his parents are asleep in this house. And he runs into every single room in the house because he has to, quote, sprinkle his moon dust <laughs> into every room in the house. My parents got so mad. <laughs> and yeah, wakes up his parents. We hear him stopping and we're keeled over with laughter the whole time. He obviously ends up coming back downstairs and we tell him and he is like, you know, veritably crushed <laughs> for a moment. <laughs> But it was fantastic. I ultimately, I ultimately thought it was funny even that night. Yeah, I, I mean, was, was I, 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 I rebounded, but like for for a moment, I was really, I was quite crushed. But it was good. Anyway, Van Morrison's Moon Dance turned fifty. We know this because Shannon was driving and she heard uh, a bunch of really great songs from that album in a row on the radio, and then she's like, "Oh my god, what radio station is this?" And then mm-hmm. she found out that they were just. Celebrating the anniversary. Which is the most fitting tribute to Van Morrison I could think of because half the Van Morrison songs in the world are just about like a radio DJ hopefully playing some better songs on the radio. Turn it up! Radio! And Domino, he's like, just want to hear some rhythm and blues music here on the radio. (laughs) Like, Van Morrison never bought a record in his entire life. He's just been listening to the radio the whole time hoping for some jam. Is, Is there a singer who's considered... I would say by music critics, or not not by music critics, I would just say the listening public, right? I would say the listening public finds Van Morrison to be a reasonably conventional singer. Yeah, yeah, he's like a... Yeah, he's he's a, a singer, he's you know, a he's, singer. A, he's, a hit, he's a hit maker, he's a soul singer. Is there anyone who has a reputation for being conventional that's more idiosyncratically batshit unconventional than him? I don't know, I don't think so. He's really strange. 
He's, he's really bizarre. His phrasing is crazy. He barely enunciates. He's never said a word in, in English. His life. Um, he thinks Astro Weeks is a terrible record <laughs> because this is true because the studio ruined it because they added those damn strings, which are literally life affirming. Oh, they're like, incredible. You listen to Sweet Thing and it's, you know, he's doing the, and they just swell and then they, bum, 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 bum. And it's like, it's the most beautiful thing I've ever heard. Yeah. He's talking about walking in gardens, misty, wet with rain. And he's like <laughs> fucking violins come in. I've never been happier. And he's like, they ruined that record. That record is terrible. <laughs> It's like, dude, some of the best records that's ever been made. Um, like, there's definitely vocalists who are less conventional, but everyone knows sure, it. Sure, sure, sure. Um, but yeah, no, I mean, I love Van Morrison so much. Do you have wine? Do you need more wine? I just polished that off. Well, we can just, I mean, we'll just have more wine soon. Yeah, all right. Yeah. That works. Um, but yeah. <laughs> Shout out to Van So here's a question. You're like wine tragedy. <laughs> I finished the wine. That's, that's, you know, we can have more wine later. It's our second bottle. I don't know. You know, um, I have another bottle over there too. If we need, but uh, you have to pick a favorite Van Morrison song. You cannot pick Caravan from the Last Waltz. <laughs> what a ridiculous! Because proposal. everyone would pick Caravan from the Last Waltz because it's incredible, and he scats, and it's incredible, and he goes, you know, really wrong, really wrong, really wrong. I, I have an extremely cliched answer. Into the Mystic. Into the Mystic. That's a fair pick. That's a fair pick. I like... And that's a pick for Moondance, so that's great. Um, I like Moondance a lot. One thing about Moondance, like the first like five songs are all incredible. Uh, opens with And It Stoned Me. That's a great song. Which is a bunch of like... It's like more Van Morrison lyrical nonsense. That makes no sense. Um, and it stoned me just like Jelly Roll. It's like, all right, man, like rock and roll. Like, I guess what is what is that what is that simile? I guess he's probably talking about like you know it stoned me to my soul. It stoned me just like Jelly Roll. Like I guess for Van Morrison, maybe the first time he heard Jelly Roll Morton was like, you know, okay, an epiphany for him or something. So I guess that's fair. But um, so side one of Moondance, it's absurd. And it stoned me. Yep. Moondance. Yep. Crazy Love. Caravan. Into the Mystic. Into the Mystic. Unbelievable. Okay. Unbelievable. Okay. Yeah, so Moondance is, is absolutely an, an amazing record. End of the Mystic is beautiful. I mean, there's 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 really two Van Morrisons, right? There's well, Actually, there's three. There's Folk Van Morrison. You're, you're And It Stone Me. You're Tupelo Honey. You're Into the Mystic. Uh, which Tupelo Honey, by the way, is fucking such a good song. And there's Soul Van Morrison, your Domino, your Caravan, you know what I mean? Partying. It's 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 such a and then there's Pop Van Morrison, which is like brief. I also have you listened to uh them? Here it comes. Yeah, so so that band I feel like kinda sucks. Okay. Which is interesting. Because he's so good. And I don't know what it is. Like Glory is great. Here comes and I take it, son. It's okay. Really? I like that song. You like the Strokes and you don't like that song? Yeah. Yeah. I just feel like it's like, man, like, I really feel like it was important to let Van loose. Let Van be Van. Yeah, to let him let, be let him, Well, and not the even, best them songs well, not even songs let him, where let, Not even let him be loose, but let him, let his odd and idiosyncratic personality run rampant over some material. Right. And, you know, like what, he could what never the, play bass in a band. He could never play bass in a band. And and I don't know what instrument he composes on. Part of me just kind of feels like he just, like, directs the band. Yeah. I mean, he plays guitar. He plays I know guitar. that. But, like, not much. 
you know, he's he's out there naked, man. He's out there being Van. You know, just got his gut hanging like out, being like, so <laughs> drunk he can't kick. I feel like he writes like he like tells like someone he's like, hey man, play a hot lick, and like like I think about like Domino. So it was like Sinatra, like, like hey, make it swing, and hey baby, make it bop. And Van's like, all right, perfect. Keep playing that lick. It's like drums, get in here. And then he's like, all right, uh, hey engineer, you recording this? Good. Uh, all right, here we go. Is he more Don't like? Don't wanna discuss it. Think it's time for a change. Like so, lyrical nonsense. So is he more like Frank Sinatra than he is like Jackson Brown? I think he's like Jonesy from Cigarettes. From Cigarettes. Yes. <laughs> This is my take. I think he's like Jonesy from because, Sigur Rós. Is that, that is that just because you can't understand either of them? <laughs> well, it's it's not. It's deeper than that. Van Morrison enunciates it just, the things that need to be enunciated for the song to be as good as it possibly can be. And you feel qualified to say this even though you don't understand the language that Jonesy's singing in? Jonesy invented a language because it sounded better. That's like the whole nature of the Brackets record by Sigur Rós, which is one of my all-time favorite records. It's a nonsense language that means nothing. That was invented by Jonesy because it was simply phonetically what Jonesy thought the most beautiful types of sounds were <laughs> to know. go with. I think you dream this too. No, this is real. You don't know this? This is a real thing. Shannon's fact checking. Shannon, Shannon says this yes. This is a real thing. No, this I know. I, but by fact checking, I just meant that you're saying that Thank it is. Thank you, Shannon. So, I just trust you. Yeah. Oh, that's, have you heard about that? Time differences? Uh, but no, so, this is a real thing. Okay. Van Morrison has done the same thing, except just vaguely based in the English language, where he's just like, whatever the words are, it's going to sound the f- most ripping with this fucking tune. I'm going to say them. And apparently those words are DJ, radio, and soul. <laughs> <laughs> he did the research. Oh those are the God. best sounding words. I completely Okay, I'm all in. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> yeah, I agree. You're right. But you're right, you're right. That's what I'm saying. And night. He likes night. He also likes light. Like in like in light, Caravan, when he goes, he goes, turn on your electric light. And then the next time he goes, turn on your electric light. Yeah. And then he's like, sweet lady of the night. I liked your take about, uh, if you have, if anyone hasn't seen this, Tom Grant's dad posted it on uh, Facebook the other day. Uh, the the Van Morrison Caravan. From the last waltz. From the last waltz, yeah. yeah. When, Tom Grant's, when Tom Grant's dad posted it, I was like, I didn't think that I could like Tom Grant's dad more. But then Tom Grant's dad posted that video to YouTube. I was like, "You like him more, Tom Grant's dad? You're awesome." Mm-hmm. So, uh, so that I watched, I watched it, and we watched it again tonight. And it's like your analysis that the horns come in and sober him up. The horns like sober he just him up. he just starts really scatting, like really sounding kind of kind of crazy, crazy hammered, yeah, on who knows what. And then like these horn lines come in that, and then are it's so like. Ah! Explosive. I want to love you in my heart. And he, yeah, like, he just sings a piss out of him. Sings like, a piss out of it. And, and we're mere seconds before that, he was doing like, like really little, wrong, really wrong, really he bad. Was, he was doing like a little kid thing where you like say your R's like W's, where he's like really wrong, really wrong, really And he was almost, it was almost kind of like those like old commercials that were like, what's that? Yeah. <laughs> and like all of a sudden, it's like, it's like, like a heavenly horn comes in, yeah. and he's like, oh, Van Beyonce now. Let's fucking do it. You know what I mean? Like Van Knowles. <laughs> yeah, Van Knowles. It's it's like, I don't know. It's it's such an amazing performance, and I love it for so many reasons and in so many ways. And uh, It's just fantastic. So. If I found out that any successful, famous American was Van Morrison's illegitimate child, I would be like, yeah. 
Yeah. Like if that someone, blood. yeah, yeah, whatever Van Morrison. Yeah, does. that's what I'm saying. Like, if, blood. right? Like if someone was just like, uh, yeah, you know, uh, uh, Chris Hayes on MSNBC. Do you know, that's uh, it's actually Van Morrison's grandson, mm. illegitimate. I'd just be like, yeah, I believe it. Mm. And then if they were just like, yeah, you know, Beyonce Knowles. <laughs> it's actually, it's actually Van's illegitimate grandchild. Mm. I feel like Sheeran is like Van's like third nephew. Yeah, but not direct. Not direct. No. no, no. Lena Dunham, Van Morrison's <laughs> illegitimate daughter, had her when he was fifty. I would just be like, yeah, I guess, yeah, sure, sure. Similar body type. <laughs> I'm, I'm not what. They're built similarly. That's true. That's a true thing. Look at Lena Dunham. Look at Van Morrison. Tell me they're not built fucking the same. Neither of them could kick. They can't kick. Neither of them. Could. I we doubt, got. I doubt they could jump very high. We gotta go. Yeah, we who do you think go. has a higher vertical leap in their prime? Lena Dunham or Lina? Van Morrison? Gosh. I'm gonna say Lena Dunham. I've seen Van Morrison leg kicks and he, he his foot gets barely two inches off the ground. I'm gonna go Dunham. Who's a celebrity that you think has approximately the same vertical leap as you? Oh, I have such a small vertical leap. Lena Dunham. <laughs> <laughs> Serious, I, I I don't get up, you know. I, I got no ups. I'm 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 quick. I'm not explosive. Here's like a that. question: What celebrity do you think is approximately exactly as athletic as you are? Uh, today, today, my athleticism today. Yeah, and a celebrity today. Uh, gonna have to go with Michael B. Jordan. No, I'm kidding. Um, I'm gonna say. I'm definitely more athletic than Timothy Chalamet. I would rip him to shreds. Well, why'd you even start there? Because fuck Timothy Chalamet. The people are going to turn on him. I'm telling you. Well, you've always said that the people would turn on him, but you never turned on him. I'm turning on him. Why are you turning on him? Because he's a little piece of shit. <laughs> yeah, I didn't know I you were anti-Chalamet. I would fuck, fuck him, him up. up he says, I would beat the shit out of him. We drank a man. bottle of wine and now he's going to fuck up Chalamet. I would fuck up Chalamet. He, he used to Jesus. spend his summers in France. He like he's an actor because he was like waiting for sneakers. He's like a hype beast, and someone found him. He, fuck him, fuck him. <laughs> you can't just play. All right, no. Here's the thing. Here's the thing. Here's the thing. So Clint Eastwood played the same character all the time when he was younger, right? But it was a fucking cowboy who never left a friend behind. Like that's awesome. Hell yeah. Timothy Chalamet plays an entitled rich prick in every fucking movie I see him. <laughs> oh my in. god. Where's the value? Where's the fucking value here? There's no value. He adds nothing to the culture except for being fucking having a name that should be pronounced Chalamet. If his name was Intimitay, ugh, it's disgusting. He said that spending his summers in France when he was younger really put him in touch with his French side. I'd like to put him in touch with the fucking back of my fucking heel. I'll tell you that much. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Uh, do you think that you're more athletic than Bradley Cooper? Coop's getting old, man. Coop's getting old, man. Coop's getting old. Um, do you think again, you're, wedding crashers, Coop. You know. Yeah, he's throwing it around. So do you think you're more? Do you think, football. do you think that you're as athletic as Gosling? No. No. Do you think Gosling's an athlete? Gosling was a dancer, man. Oh, okay. Yeah. True. Yeah. 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 Got to give credit where credit's due. You know, Gosling, Hugh Jackman, all those folks. If you're a dancer, you, you got. Yeah. Be, yeah. You're a sick you athlete. Be. Respect to those folks. What about like super old athletes? Like, do you think you're a better athlete than Dr. J today? Dr. J still throws down. 
That's I mean, true. I don't know if he could guard me, but like, right, right. He's six it's, six and throws. How down. old is? Do you think Dr. J is like sixty? No, he's in his seventies, man. Dr. J's in his seventies. He's in his thirties and the seventies, man. Yeah, that's man. Fifty years since nineteen seventy. Fifty years since then. He's either late sixties, early seventies. Um, I think I am as athletic as Shia LaBeouf. Wow, good I one. I think he's a little stronger than me, but yeah. I imagine I'm probably be better able to move at a little sports better. than yeah, him. Yeah, yeah, Like, is Shia LaBeouf, like, throwing a football as well as you? Probably not. Right. He's, he was a child actor. You know, yeah. he's probably acted some roles that made him have to You've had enough free him. time to throw a football well. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Shia LaBeouf has not. You know, he started in the greatest game ever played, so maybe he'd beat me on a golf course if we played 18, but uh, I'd say I'm about as athletic as Shia LaBeouf. How about you? You think you're about as athletic as Gosling? Not if he's a dancer. Yeah, he used to dance. And he was in La La Land. He was dancing his ass off in that movie. Probably Driver. Driver's a fucking military man. He's a Marine. I think you're as athletic as a Marine. I think I'm more athletic than the average Marine. Really? That's interesting. Than the average enlisted Marine? What do you think the average age of the average enlisted Marine is? I mean, 19 probably, right? 20? Oh, well, I don't know. Yeah, maybe not. Do you think they were younger? <laughs> Older? I don't know. I think that like a lot of... Yeah, I guess there's old guys in the Marines. Yeah. But they're pretty athletic. They got to work out like as a job. Like that's their job. We talking about the same Marines? I don't know. Like U.S. Marine Corps? America? Like basic training? Like they got to work out a lot? Right, but I don't think that like if you've been in the Marines for 15 years, you're in any kind of the same shape that you've been in, in the that when you were in basic training. I don't know. I don't know. I will say this. I saw Adam Driver punch the wall in Marriage Story, so you might just be more athletic than him. He can't throw a punch. But do you think that Adam, Adam Driver is older than me? Like, Do you think that he's as athletic as he was when he was in the Marine? Basic training. He's not that much older than you. Yeah, he's 36. He's 36? Yeah. You know that? That's true? I thought he was old? 36. Goodness gracious. Adam Driver's 36 years old. I'm, I'm fact-checking this. So I think another thing that's important to question is, do we mean athletic or good? He's 36 at- years old. Impressive. The other thing is, do we mean he's athletic? He's only 6'2". Do we mean, athle- do, like, do we mean athletic or good at sports? Athletic. See Kylo Ren fucking bod, dude? Driver's fucking ripped. Yeah. Like, you could probably beat him in basketball. But, like, I bet he'd do a lot more pull-ups than you. He would do way more pull-ups than me. So I guess that's what we're talking about. Could he beat me in a mile? I have no idea. You run a lot. Adam Driver. Come on the pod. Come on the pod, Adam Driver. We won't play any clips of you acting. Uh, we won't make you uncomfortable. Um, you can talk about, you know, if you want to. You probably have some good insight as to the Lena Dunham, Van Morrison body type conversation that we were having. Uh, as in you worked with Lena Dunham. And so, yeah, come on the pod. I have to do some wikipedia Definitely. We'll see you next week. We'll see you next time.